Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. This episode is airing on Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Shannon. And once again, I'm back to talk with you about this week's new releases. But before we get to that, I actually have an author interview that I'm really excited for you to hear. I was able to chat with author CJ Cook about her latest novel, which is called The Nesting. And this novel is out today, and it is a spine-tinglingly spooky read. Lots of gothic intrigue goes on, so definitely pay attention to this interview if you're looking for a good gothic thriller to kind of usher in the spooky season of Halloween. So before we do books and interviews and all those things, I have the usual housekeeping information, and then we will dive right into the interview. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right, so let's dive right in here. It is my interview with CJ Cook on the Book Bistro Podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I am here today with author C.J. Cook, whose novel, The Nesting, is releasing in the U.S. tomorrow, September 29th, 2020. So, C.J., thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. So, can we start out by familiarizing our listeners a little bit with what the nesting is about? Absolutely. So the nesting is a gothic suspense or a gothic thriller set in the wilds of Norway. And it features a, my main character is is called Lexi. She is a woman from the northeast of England. Um, And she has taken up an opportunity to serve as a nanny for two young girls while their father, Tom, who is an architect, builds a high concept, eco-friendly summer home um, in this remote part of Norway. So she's there looking after the children and their mother, Aurelia, has recently passed away. So these are children who are dealing with um, you know, huge loss. And Tom also is, is kind of staggering through that grief process and throwing himself into the build. And Lexi um, begins to find that the place that she's based at um, in Norway, this old red Norwegian lodge, is seems to be haunted. Um, and there is also a suggestion that Aurelia, the mother who died recently, did not 
die by suicide, as was told to her, but possibly murder. So Lexi has to um, to deal with this this um, threat, this unseen threat that is posed to both her and her charges and figure out how to how to manage that in this remote part of the world. So tell me what inspired you to set a novel in Norway? Because like Norway is not a place that we usually read about, which I really enjoyed sort of the, the different turn that the setting gave the novel. But I'm just wondering what sort of prompted you to choose that setting? Oh, thank you. Well, I, I think very carefully about where to set my books. Um, and in this case, I, I did know that I wanted somewhere that was really befitting of this gothic vibe that I wanted to to get across and and I had also been doing a lot of research in climate change as well um and I, I I think I felt drawn to Scandinavia but I put a call out on Twitter or not Twitter Facebook my Facebook author page to my um followers and asked them you know this this book that I'm writing I want it to be gothic it's 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 a place that's quite sort of otherworldly I'm interested in in between spaces and someone mentioned the Faroe Islands and another person mentioned Iceland is a good setting. But I, I settled in Norway and again, I'd never been. But when I started to do some research, um, it, that dramatic landscape of Norway, and it's, it's obviously a place that doesn't seem very human friendly. It seems, you know, a place that's more for animals that can really, you know, cope and survive in, in that kind of climate it's very very harsh climate very um you know steep terrain in places and obviously then there's this the fact that you know for parts of the year you have no light so you've got to cope with that darkness so this savage beauty of the place seemed ideal for the book and I went there four times um and it was indeed just that place I was on a boat in the middle of nowhere in the arctic circle um and that experience really, you know, was was crucial to writing it. But I think also the political thread that runs through the book about climate crisis and, and what people are doing about it and so on. Norway's very progressive. Um, it's not a utopia, but I think it's a really fabulous country in many ways, not just its beauty, but its its politics and its how its uh, society is structured. So that attracted me to it as well. So when you actually were able to go there, did that kind of help you feel more comfortable as you were writing about it and really kind of imagining what Lexi's experience would be being so far from home with like no one there that she could really depend on? I'm guessing that actually seeing the kind of landscape that she would be traversing would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I really do try and go to the places that I'm writing about as, as much as possible. Um, and with Norway, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm now just a real advocate for research trips like that, if, if, if possible. There was a time in my life that I wasn't able to leave my, my children for very long. Um, but now my youngest is autistic, so I wasn't, and she, when she was nonverbal, I was not able to, to leave her really because she, you know, I felt it distressed her too much. But now that she's able to communicate, um, I was, I was okay with leaving her. Uh, for a little bit longer um, <laughs> but but yeah be, being there was 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 just absolutely crucial to, to writing the book and capturing the mood and and there's there's details that you pick up I think just as you're encountering people and those kind of experiences do filter into the story and enrich it 
you know so there was just things that that I couldn't have you know planned on that that just really made the book what what it is and I mean I did I did have some logistical issues I wanted to 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 figure out like I went to speak to the co-director of the Nordic Office of Architecture in Oslo because I really wanted to get my facts right when it came to building out there I didn't want to sort of fudge that Mm-hmm. Um, so he was able to give me guidance on on the logistics that you know the, the process that Tom would have had in in building a a summer home, um. But just just being yeah just being and and experiencing all the sort of history and folklore and um the 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 people and 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 obviously trying to understand a bit how they experience climate change. I was very interested in that because that underpins the book. So um yeah that that was so important to just be there. So aside from the kind of physical research that you did in terms of traveling, like what other types of things, um, you know, along with like the politics and the climate change, did you really dig into as you wrote this book? Well, I I had a number of things I suppose I wanted to to write about, and and then I had to find a way to to you know to to research those and and the best way to go about that, but. You know, I, I was interested um, in writing about motherhood and writing about that very, very early stage in motherhood um, where you've just given birth. And in Aurelia's case, in the story, she's just had her second child and, you know, her her body. We have sort of descriptions of how her organs slide around yes. um, when she rolls over. And I know at one point my my editor kind of flagged that she said really <laughs> like what um, and I said well yeah that, that's kind of there's this odd moment it's very early but it just feels like your organs are having to readjust to where they were and I guess that is consistent with you know what, what they know but um those those kind of details I, I thought you know the female experience I think we're, we're starting to really to see that captured in literature but I just know when I had my first child 14 years ago I was astonished by how little of that experience with with all its you know complexity and it's you know it's 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 huge and yet I didn't feel that like I had encountered it in literature at all I felt it was maybe just scratching the surface and and so I'm still on a kind of mission if you like to make sure that that is represented in, in literature. So motherhood, I think, was, was one of those things that I wanted to write about. And that I guess that came from my own research, if you like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or lived experience. I feel like Australian author um, Kelly Rimmer does a really great job of kind of bringing so many aspects of the female experience to life. Um, in her 2020 book, she talks about like postpartum depression, and she just does so many great things with some of the darker like less discussed issues that women experience Um, and I'm really glad that people are taking the time and putting in the energy to actually share those experiences because you're right it hasn't always been a thing that we've had access to yeah um, or, or it's been written about but really presented in a way that is is quite patronizing um, and depicted as chiclet or you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah so I'm, I'm very interested in how motherhood is represented 
um, in novels. But um, yeah, I was interested in mental health as well and trying to depict the experience that Lexi undergoes after she's committed suicide. She gets no help at all. Um, and I, I suppose, for, you know, that that was important to me that I <laughs> that I could represent that, that it's not always the case that people who survive that kind of thing um, actually get any support afterwards. So that was important as well that I captured in the book. And it's interesting because, you know, Lexi, um, when the book starts, is in England. And as a citizen of the U.S., I see so many like, similar things happening in terms of mental health. And I yeah. think th- there is a sense of, you know, that we all feel, at least to some degree, a little bit separate from the rest of the world. And so it's interesting to read about someone's experience from another country that so eerily mirrors so much of what people go through here. And it just yeah. kind of puts into perspective that it doesn't really matter, like, where you live. The yeah. issues are still, you know, very much the same with obviously some, like, you know, cultural differences and policy differences. But still, like, mental health is a struggle. And it's it, not only yeah. here in the U.S. No, not at all. I, I, I do find that, you know, we're, we're all talking a lot more about mental health. Um, but as to what we're doing about it and what support is out there, uh, it's sort of lamentable um, what is is realistically there. And I, I think that's because, although on the surface it appears that certain stigmas have been, you know, quashed, I think the stigma continues. Um, so it's deprioritized when it comes to funding and, you know, and, and health support. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's it is the case that here there's there's quite a long wait for anyone who who needs those services. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not immediate. No, and in so many cases, you know, it it needs to be. Yes, it needs to be a priority, and yet it's not. Yes, exactly that. Exactly. So, what kind of spurred your interest in writing a gothic thriller? Like, there's so many novels of psychological suspense. There are just a ton of thrillers out there, but not as many kind of gothic-y books as, um, you know, as, as you've created here. Yeah, so I... Uh... I became very, very interested in in the Gothic. Um, I, I suppose it it came. I, I was researching climate crisis. I, I write poetry as well, and I've got a poetry collection coming out next year. That's it's really on climate crisis. And I was thinking about you know how I've been feeling and how a lot of people have been feeling about the world. And obviously, right now we have you know 2020 has just been this really really surreal moment but oh yeah um even even before now even before COVID-19 the the data I, I was accessing on climate crisis you know it was just absolutely horrific and even in terms of the Australian fires that wiped out a billion animals I was interested in the gothic because I think that when when you're when you're trying to confront despair and when you're trying to write about events that are just they're almost beyond language how do you begin to capture or express something of that scale a billion animals being killed um you know the the world uh, you can't even I think it's beyond description and so you have you have an unresolvable an almost unresolvable problem that there is no sort of happy ending for how do you write about something that instills despair and I think that there's this unique relationship between the gothic and the experience of despair, because 
I think it examines the Gothic, although there's certain tropes like the, you know, maybe the big mansion and the the, the housekeeper um, <laughs> and the distant father. Uh, I think the, the, the Gothic really examines the attributes of despair, its surreality and the ways in which despair sort of tips reality upside down and how the rational and the logical cease to exist the known world collapses and the unknown is thrust to the forefront so it's you know and and in this kind of um genre i think the uh the human subject in the gothic is brought to the brink and stares right into the abyss of her worst nightmares and i'm interested in 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 that and and how you how you deal with that how you represent that so underpinning it are these um are these thoughts of unspeakable tragedy for which there's just no restitution um and it sounds really awful but i think that that particularly the surreality of of the the gothic is is something i was interested in and it's not pulled apart from the psychological suspense genre that i had written in but this is this is asking deeper questions and, and what do you do if you can't find an easy resolution to something? How do you deal with your despair? So that was, I suppose, why I turned to the Gothic. So your previous novels um, have, as you say, kind of stayed within that psychological suspense realm. And yet there is a, a sense of kind of of despair that that runs through. Um, I read I Know My Name. Oh, good. Thank um, you. Back, like, right around the time that it was released here. Mm-hmm. And it was a very different story from the one that you tell in The Nesting, obviously, but still had that kind of sense of, like, you know, all not being right, like, in the world at large, but also just with your, your heroine in general. Yeah. And so it's like I can see some kind of crossover between like the books that you are kind of classifying as just psychological suspense, but also with a little bit of that kind of gothic overtone. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think with I Know My Name, I was, I was writing about trauma. Yes. um, Which is, you know, not a world away from despair, but you know, there, there was a kind of solution there. And, um, you know, she, there was a sense that she was beginning by the end to deal with that trauma, that it's not a quick fix by any means, but there's there's kind of a means for, um, you know, healing. Um, and I guess that for me is the distinction between those two, that mm-hmm. that psychological suspense. I was I was interested in mental health and mental illness and um, and, and trauma based uh, mental illness in particular, whereas here it's 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 trauma on a completely different scale. It's, it's sort of global catastrophe and what that sparks, um, you know, in, in individuals. So, but I, I suppose in, in the, the nesting specifically, one of the things that I was very interested in writing about was grief and loss. And these two little girls have lost their mother. And I was so deeply caught up in that aspect of the story that I have this, um, this character Aurelia who has died but she's left behind you know a husband and two children and their grief is just you know absolutely insurmountable um and so that for me was a driver in the sort of type of despair that I wanted to write about how they how they cope with that what it looks like and a sort of portrait of human feeling and the human emotions and in, in going through that process 
So you mentioned that you have a poetry collection coming out next year. What else can we look forward to as far as like novels or are you um, taking a break and hanging out in the poetic realm for a while? Oh, thank you. Well, no, I've just finished my book for next year, um, which is called The Wildling. And um, it's uh, so, yeah, it's I've just I'm just finishing it up now to to hand over to my publisher. But it's um. It's similar in the, the sort of gothic sense to the nesting and it, it also has similar similarities in terms of its themes. Uh, it deals with motherhood, it deals with folk tales and uh, a community that's sort of uh, bound by suspicion and um, superstition. But it's set Excellent. in Scotland. It's set up where I live in Glasgow actually but this one's set in Scottish Highlands so it's set on a remote island and it takes place a lot in an old decommissioned lighthouse, which is very gothic-y. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, um, that's that's next year. Yes, I think the only thing more gothic you could possibly find is like an abandoned, you know, mental hospital or something. Indeed, yes, an asylum. That might yes. be next. <laughs> yes, there we go. Yes, there's yes. a lot of uh, very creepy books that take place in uh, yes. like abandoned mental hospitals. Yes, I I love the idea of, of of lighthouses. Though I think they're they're either beautiful and hopeful, or they're creepy and despairing. Well, I definitely look forward to seeing um, what your interpretation of a gothicy lighthouse would be. <laughs> Indeed, thank you. So one of the things that I love best about getting a chance to talk with authors is not only just learning about you as people and kind of, you know, what you're passionate about, but also authors have the most amazing book recommendations. And so I'm wondering what you have read this year that you have absolutely loved that you would like the world to pay attention to. Oh, certainly. Oh, gosh, I, I have I have a lot of, of recommendations. Um, yeah, so I I really, really, I think for this time of year, I, I really advocate uh, some really um, spooky uh, books. I think that I'm not sure if you can get it in America, but The Silent Companions by Laura oh, Purcell. Oh, Laura Purcell, yes. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and The Chalk Man. By oh, CJ Tudor. Yeah, I, I really recommend that. And uh, another book, I'm not sure if it's it's slightly gothic. It's probably more domestic noir, which seems to be um, a thing at the minute. But Lisa Jewell's book, The Family Upstairs, is is um, really, really good. Oh, my gosh, you read that um, yeah. earlier this year. And it was like really, really excellent. I love her a lot. Yeah. So, and I've also read her book, Invisible Girl. Oh, um, it's coming very soon. Oh, is it? It's it's not out there yet. No, oh, it's, it's October um, 13th, I believe. Okay, well, that's so very one soon on the list. Yeah. Another book that it's a while ago, and and I, I I'll admit I didn't read it first this year, but I was reading it again. Is Dark Matter by Michelle Paver because it's set in the high Arctic. And Ooh. obviously I love that region. But in this book, it's not a sort of pristine wilderness. It's you've got these sort of rotting whale carcasses on the coastline. And, you know, it's it's dark and it's really sinister. 
Um, so that's a book that I would look out for. Oh, another book. Oh, gosh, I could tell you everything. Um, the Memory Wood by Sam Lloyd is a debut. And it's, it's really worth reading. It's oh, that that to me was was utterly brilliant. And my sister, the serial killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite is, is fantastic. It's set in Nigeria. It's it's just a fantastically um, just wonderful book. There's this sort of wonderfully sarcastic and darkly humorous uh, narrator that just can't be missed. See, authors, you guys know like all of the fantastic books and it just makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> we do a lot of, of book recommendations here. Um, you know, often we'll do like recommendations on a theme. So actually last week we did books set in the wilderness. Oh. Um, so I, I was sorry that I hadn't read The Nesting in time to uh, talk about that because your whole like Norwegian, you know, <laughs> barren landscape would have worked so well with it. But yeah. I'm always just so so glad when you know you get to talk with people and and find out the books that are really like moving and and affecting them um you know not only just like new books but just books that they've been reading over you know the months and the years that are important I think sometimes we miss out on a lot of books depending on you know what's popular in the moment yeah yeah absolutely well, those are definitely my my top reads. Well, thank you very much. And we will definitely be uh, adding some of these to the ever-growing pile of books to read. Terrific. But I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule, so close at least to um, your release date here. Is this out in the UK yet? No, actually, it comes out um, a little bit later than the, the UK, which is, I know, not always the case. It's not out in the UK till the 15th of October. So you guys get it first. Amazing. I know. Well, I hope your release day goes super well and that this book gets all of the attention that it deserves because it really was such an engrossing, creepy, creepy book. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so pleased to hear. Okay, and now let's talk about new books because there are some great things out this week. Um, A couple of things that you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated books of September episode. Amber talked about the new Naomi Novik book. This is A Deadly Education, Scholomance, book one. And Kira mentioned the new Marie Lu book, which is called Sky Hunter, and it's the first in the Sky Hunter series. So we have some science fiction, some fantasy, lots of great stuff. So now let's talk about some books that we haven't mentioned before. First up is a book by one of my new favorite authors. I have just fallen in love with her writing and her characters and these hugely intricate worlds that she builds. So this is Idols and Enemies, and it's Amplifier Book 4 by Megan Sienna Doidge. And these are interconnected series. Um, Amplifier is her most recent, but there is also a Reconstructionist series, an Oracle series, a Dowser series, and a Misfit series. 
So the reading order is a little bit convoluted, but these are fantastic urban fantasy filled with all kinds of magic and romance, and they're just so much fun. So again, this is Idols and Enemies, Amplifier number four, by Megan Sienna Doidge. And let's talk about G.A. Aiken for a moment. Um, her new book is out this week, and it is Can't Get Enough. It's Dragon Kin point one. And G.A. Aiken also writes as Shelley Laurensten and writes some kind of quirky, a little bit more lighthearted, definitely heavy on the female empowerment urban fantasy. Um, I have read a couple of Laurensten's, um, oh, what do you call these? Call of Crows, I think. Um, but I've not read any of the books that she's written as G.A. Aiken, but I know that a lot of people really love her, no matter which name she writes under, so I did want to mention her here. So this week we have Can't Get Enough, Dragonkin, point one, and again it's by G.A. Aiken. And hanging out a little bit still with urban fantasy, I want to talk about a new series that um, is debuting this week. This is called Dead to Me. The series is called Grave Talker, and this is, of course, book one. It's by Annie Anderson, who is an author that I have never heard of, but the series looks pretty cool. It is about a homicide detective who sees ghosts, and, of course, then she gets involved in all kinds of paranormal investigations and has to kind of sort those out along with the more mundane parts of her job. So I will definitely be checking this one out. It is Dead to Me, Grave Talker, book one, and it is by Annie Anderson. All right, so let's move on to some romantic suspense here. Um, Witness Security Breach, which is the second book in the Hardcore Justice series by Juno Rushton. And she has really taken the romantic suspense world by storm in the past couple of years. She's just super popular. Um, I have a few of her books here that I have not read yet, but I really want to read them. Um, so this one is about two U.S. Marshals who are on the run. And while they're running for their lives, they're also trying to find a missing witness and investigate a murder of a third marshal. So it definitely looks action-packed. It is Witness Security Breach, Hardcore Justice, book two by Juno Rushton. And let's talk about some Mary Burton. I really enjoy her stuff, as do Brooke and Natalia. This one looks to be a standalone. It is called Burn You Twice. And it's about, as you might guess, fire. And all the things that can come up in a fire. It can bring to light some secrets. And, of course, it's deadly. Um, it can destroy your past, your present, your future. So I love the super dark romantic suspense that Mary Burton writes. And this is one that I definitely plan to pick up right away. It is Burn You Twice by Mary Burton. And next up is a book called Ties That Tether by Jane Aguirre. And it's set in Nigeria. It's about a young woman who falls in love with a man that she knows her mother will not approve of. 
And so as she struggles to kind of figure out what she wants to do, she realizes that she is now being made to choose between her family and her own happiness. So this looks really intense, um, very timely. It is Ties That Tether, and it's by Jane Aguirre. And some historical romance, because how can I not talk about one when Lorraine Heath has a new book out? This is Beauty Tempts the Beast, Sins for All Seasons, number six by Lorraine Heath. I love this series so much. They are fairy tale retellings of romances. Like, they're just so great. We see nobility, we see working class people here. It's just an utterly delightful series. And this is the last book featuring these characters, which makes me kind of sad, but I do know that all good things have to come to an end. So if you are a follower of the series, you'll be pretty excited about this because finally, after a few years now, we are getting Beast's book. So as you can guess, this is a Beauty and the Beast themed romance that will make the twins, Stacy and Sarah, very, very happy. So this is Beauty Tempts the Beast, Sins for All Seasons, number six, by Lorraine Heath. And I have some young adult books to talk to you about as well. First up in that category is Crown Chasers. Crown Chasers, book one, by Rebecca Koffendoffer. And this is about a race, a deadly race, across over a thousand planets. And there's so much at stake here. In fact, some of the people running this race don't even know all the things that are at stake. But it is kind of a life or death kind of mission. Um, I love books that catapult you across time and space. So I'm really excited about this. It is The Crown Chasers, Crown Chasers, book one, and it is by Rebecca Koffendoffer. We then have Crush, which is Crave, book two, by Tracy Wolf. And this is a vampire romance for young adults. Crave was the first book. It came out last year, and a lot of people fell in love with it. Um, it reminds me of like kind of Twilight for like this decade. So if um, you were kind of interested in Twilight, but you'd like to see some like a more modern take on it, definitely give this a look. This one is Crush and it's Crave book two by Tracy Wolf. This next book makes me really excited. This is historically inaccurate. It is by Shay Bravo, and it's about a teenage girl who is really desperate to fit in to her new school, her new town, especially now that her mother has been deported. So she tries to gain entrance into this kind of elite group of kids, and she has to go through this kind of weird initiation where they want her to break in to a house and for some reason steal a fork when she's found out by the son of the house, um, all sorts of things can, and I guess do go wrong. So this is historically inaccurate. It's a young adult romance by Shea Bravo. And if you love a survival themed book, then this one should make you pretty happy. This is Aftershocks and it's by Marissa Reichert. It is about two strangers who are fighting to survive after a catastrophic earthquake 
decimates California. So again, given all of the like weird weather and fires and other disastrous things that are kind of sweeping across the world these days, this definitely seems like a timely book. It is Aftershocks, and it is by Marissa Reichert. And one more. So this is Under Shifting Stars, and it's by Alexandra Latos. It is about twin sisters who are trying to come to terms with the death of their brother. And as if that's not bad enough, there are just a lot of changes going on in their family, their relationships with their parents, with their friends, with each other are changing partly because of this death, but also just kind of as a natural progression of growing up. And the sisters don't really know how to deal with this. They're not sure if these changes are good changes, if they should do something to counteract them. So it's kind of a poignant coming-of-age story centered around twins. Um, it looks really, really good. I'm always up for a good coming-of-age novel. So this one is Under Shifting Stars, and it is by Alexandra Lados. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope you have found a thing or two to keep you company through uh, the last bit of September as we move on into October. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.